0: Good morning. Guys, good to see you. Uh, My name is Dave, and uh, I've had the privilege of serving on your board of directors literally since uh, the church got started. And so it's fun every so often, usually at least once, maybe twice a year to come back and uh, hang out with you. And uh, this is a little sentimental because I was a youth pastor out in Buffalo, Minnesota back in the day. And I drove by yesterday to kind of reminisce, hard to reminisce in a town that's actually coming alive. Right, when they're putting up all this new stuff and there's so much going on, St. Michael and all these different cities and communities around here. Uh, just to let you know a little bit about me, uh, here's a picture of my family and I have been married now for 25 years. There's my son Jaden hanging out in the back. I've got uh, two girls in the, in the background and then uh, in the foreground is Gracie and I kid you not, this is a girl who's, uh, uh, she's a daughter of my best, uh, she's the best friend of one of my daughters and in March of last year she just started staying overnight. On a regular basis, and one day, I kid you not, one day I get a package in the mail addressed to her with my address. And I looked her and say, "Are you are you living here?" And she said, "Yeah, I was been meaning to talk to you about that." So she lives with us. And I, I, I kid you not, I don't know how she moved in, but she just did. She just slowly but surely made her way into our house. Uh, so here's the deal: a couple years ago, the police department in Richland, Washington, used their Facebook page to, <clears throat> excuse me post about a wanted man named Anthony Akers, all right? So the post said this, it said, Wanted Wednesday. And uh, we got a little uh, graphic there uh, of this Wanted Wednesday. Uh, it said, Anthony Akers, 38, wanted by the correct Department of Correction for failure to comply. If you have any information, please call the number. One of the very first people to reply, believe it or not, was Anthony himself. And he said, calm down, I'm going to turn myself in. Isn't that awesome? So he just said, hey, I'm going to turn myself in. Well, unfortunately, he didn't end up turning himself in. And so the police department, uh, they commented again. They say, hey, Anthony, we haven't seen you yet. They give their business hours and they say, hey, listen, if you need a ride, uh, we will um, come pick you up. Well, Anthony replies to it. He says, hey, I'm trying to tie up some loose ends and just give me 48 hours and I'll make this happen. Well, three days later, he still had not turned himself in. So they called him out for not keeping his word. Okay. So then Anthony responds again. He says, it's not you, it's me. He says, I obviously have commitment issues. I apologize for standing you up, but let me make it up to you. I'll be there no later than lunchtime tomorrow. P.S., you're beautiful. This is just a a great dude, right? And uh, sure enough, the next day, Anthony does show up, and he posts this to his own page. He posts, here for our date, sweetheart. All right? So we'll skip to the last slide of all of those. There he is. He's pushing the button and he's there for the date. I love it love it love it and when I saw this chain of because it's not like a it's not like a scam it's not anybody trying to you know fake this stuff uh and when I saw this I thought man I want to be friends with Anthony because he is a free spirit doesn't it seem fun right he reflects the attitude I think all of us have when it comes to surrender if we're going to surrender to anybody and we're going to surrender anything in our life it is going to be on our own terms in our own way because we are fiercely independent creatures Now, this isn't uh, me booing culture and it's not booing the way we do our life, but come on, it's not working. And I know it's not working because there is a word that's becoming more and more popular in our culture and it is a result of doing things our own way. It is a word that's repeated in homes and in doctor's offices and in conversations and in workplaces over and over and over again. It is this word overwhelmed, right? So you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? And they say, oh, "I'm overwhelmed. I've got too much going on. Right? I'm stressed. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I feel pressure all the time." And so, as part of a summer playlist series that we're doing here, I want to talk about how to move forward when you feel overwhelmed. Now, this is not unique to our generation. Let's just you know, let's just be honest about it. every generation. I think has uh, has. Uh, reasons to feel overwhelmed. You go back 150 years ago, people were overwhelmed because they lacked resources or they lacked um, the ability to do uh, certain things. Maybe they lacked options. But the reason for you and I feeling overwhelmed, the reason for our generation in this time period of history feeling overwhelmed um, really comes down to we have too much of everything. Right? There's no way we can keep up. We certainly can't keep up with all the news that's unfolding in our world. I was reading how the post says they put out 1,500 new articles every single day. That's one newspaper, right? We, we can't keep up with all the different forms of c- communication: text, phone call, messenger, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger. And then think about all the social media platforms, right? One of the guys on the board of directors of the church I pastor in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, he's got a son on Instagram. He's got like 20 million followers. But here's the deal: that's Instagram. I'm like, uh. I would love to just have one channel that I feel like I could succeed at. you got Instagram, you got TikTok, Reddit, Snapchat, WhatsApp, Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter, and believe it or not, there are some holdouts for MySpace, right? These are people still living in the the early 2000s, but it's impossible to keep up. And then you go to the store and you want to buy toothpaste, you want to buy cough medicine, and you're just inundated with all of these different options coming at you. You just don't know what to do. Uh, Starbucks, they claim that if you order coffee from them, they claim that they have over 80,000 drink options, right? The different concoctions that they can make. Now, I I love your coffee area, but I think you have two drink options, (laughs) maybe three or four, right? But it's 80,000, and it's so easy to become overwhelmed. And those are just the trivial things. Then, Then you add to it the things that really overwhelm us, right? Loneliness, grief, anger, right resentment for the things that have happened to us Uh, financial pressures career frustrations Forbes put out an article two weeks ago that said uh, 26 percent of people as we move out of COVID you know hopefully here as we move out of COVID 26 percent of people are are looking for a new job Uh, marriage difficulties parenting challenges it's easy to be overwhelmed. I was with uh, Jeremiah and Cherry uh, yesterday at a restaurant. My wife and I were, and uh, they got the call about Chloe, and there's nothing to say. We, we, we all just got in the vehicle and started driving to Minneapolis. We didn't even know right away what, what hospital she was going to be flown into, and we're just wiping tears. And you know, my wife says to me, Hey, Dave, would you just pray? And I was at a loss for words. I, I just said, God, help us. Help Chloe. God, bring peace right now. It's just it's easy. To be overwhelmed. And I don't know what your particular story is. I I don't know what it is in your life that's causing you pressure. My guess is you have something, something right now that's overwhelming you. And because I don't know your situation, I hope you'll trust me when I say this. I'm not trying to be offensive, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way. But often the very things that overwhelm us, often the problems that just consume us, often they come from a view of God that's too small. Not everything. But the things that overwhelm us long-term are often the things that often can be rooted in this idea of God that's, that's too small. 31% of the people on our planet right now say that they believe in the God of the Bible. I'm one of those people. Right? I'm guessing most of you would say, oh yeah, I fit into that box. And yet if we were to sit down and we were to have an honest conversation about God and we were to talk about our doubts, which we all have doubts, and we were to ask questions and we were to talk about our idea of God, through that conversation at some point, it's going to be revealed that the God we often serve is just a supersized version of ourselves, right? So we believe in a God that's bigger than us, but he's not too much bigger, right? Just when you hear us talk and you kind of break down some of our beliefs, right? He's a God that's a smarter version of, of who we are. In other words, we believe in a God who aligns with us politically. Oh, dear God, he aligns with where I stand on mask. You better believe that, man. Right? And I could give you verses for what I believe and, and uh, you know, just, just take that, right? Let's just take the mask thing just for fun, right? If uh, I don't wear a mask, uh, it's going to be because God protects me and God is the ultimate. Right? If I do wear a mask, it's because God wants me to love my neighbor as myself. And, and so it, it's this, this thing in our minds where we just, God is a bigger version of, of just who we are. Uh, we believe in a God who just sees every issue the way we do. I, I know I'm not going to forgive him, but here's the deal. You think, you think God's going to be in disagreement? God knows what he did to me. Of course God would say, don't forgive him for a while, right? God knows that. And, and, and so uh, it, but what happens is, is we end up serving a God over time if we're not careful that we can manage and we can predict and we can control. It's a God that we can, for the most part, understand and explain. And without meaning to, we, we put God in, in a box. Now, we, we wouldn't say that we put God in a box, but we start saying things like, well, my God would never do this, and my God would never do that. And, and we just have a hard time embracing the mysteries of God or the things about God we can't understand or that others may disagree with, and we feel like we have to have an answer for any question that people have about God. Well, why, why would God do that? I, I have a, a friend who's had tremendous impact on my life, right? tremendous impact on uh, Pastor Jeremiah's life as well. Um, a few years ago, pastoring a huge, huge church and, uh, on, on the West Coast. And then he walked away from his faith. Because there were some things that started unfolding that he could not wrap his mind around. And he literally used phrases with me when I would talk to him about this journey he was on. I was like, well, I can't follow a God who, and then he you know, would give his answer. And so it's just easy. It's natural for all of us. We, we can make God small. We can put God into a box. And it's all unintentional because the truth is, at the end of the day, none of us actually want a small God. We don't want a small God because that's not a God who's going to sustain our faith in difficult times. That's not going to, get, that's not going to be a God capable of igniting passion within us or giving us confidence to face the suffering and hardships that exist in the world. There, there's a quote by Evelyn Underhill that I absolutely love, and I, I think it really summarizes the heart behind this talk today, and that is if God were small enough to be understood, He would not be big enough to be worshipped. So a God, who's a reflection of Dave Nelson, is a God who barely does miracles. It's a God who almost never intervenes on behalf of people, a God who rarely answers prayer. And even I even see it sometimes in the way I pray for people, and it's just, you know, it's just this hard. Not, not that I believe that every time you just get louder and more intense, God's going to answer that prayer, and, but I just, I just approach it like, uh eh, we'll see what, you know, if God does it. You start getting cynical the longer you follow Jesus. But when our God is only a little bit bigger than us, it's easy to become overwhelmed and believe that our circumstances are way too complicated for God to unravel, or to believe that our problems are too big for God to fix. So a God who's only a little bit bigger than me is a God who's uninterested in my grief, in my financial struggles, in my parenting problems because there's way too many other things to be worried about in this world. right? My my problems, as big as they are to me, they're trivial compared to some of the things we see in this world. And a small view of God is a God that has to pick and choose between what problems he's going to deal with at any given time. Now, this is not a new issue to you. This is not a new issue to me. 2,600 years ago, The Jewish people were going through this. They're experiencing turmoil as a nation. Um, Many of the Jewish people, the smartest, the the brightest, the most talented, they had actually been uh, taken, uh, they were captured and, and they were marched away to Babylon, which was 900 miles. All right, this is a journey that would have taken many months to travel. And so they're living in exile and they ended up living there for several decades and they're overwhelmed. And they're defeated, and they're like, God, we thought you were bigger than this. How is it that a, 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 a nation that doesn't even claim to follow you can have victory over us? And, and they're, they're having doubts, they're having questions. And it's during this time period that a Jewish prophet by the name of Isaiah speaks up, and he asks a couple of questions. And, and I just want to spend the rest of our time just kind of walking through some of what he said to them. So he addresses the Jewish people, and, and he asks these questions. He says, how can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? How can you say God ignores your rights? There are moments in life where we're so overwhelmed that it just is easy to believe that God either doesn't see what I'm going through, or he couldn't care less what I'm going through, because it's obvious he's not trying to do anything to fix it. It's like when you're at a grocery store and you see somebody and you don't want to talk to and so you put your phone on silent and you just hold it up to your ear and act like you're on the phone, right? You're like, oh man, I'm, just, I'm not going to get in a conversation with that person. It feels like God does that sometime. I want you to know God does see your parenting struggles and he does see the financial things that overwhelm you and he does see the restlessness that you have because of the career path that you thought you were on and now it's being redirected. God is absolutely mindful of the fear that you are that that you are wrestling with right now today because of a health diagnosis that you received or someone you love received. And so Isaiah continues to ask questions. He says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God. So Isaiah is speaking to a group of people who are overwhelmed and the prescription that he gives them is a dose of God's magnificence and his majesty and his power and his glory. Isaiah is saying to them, stop, collaborate and listen. He's saying, stop, look at God. He's saying there's something about God and the character and nature of God. We have a very limited, un- limited understanding of God, but when we look at the character and nature of God, here's what we can know. We can know that God is eternal, that he is the everlasting God. He exists outside of time and space. He has no beginning and he has no end. God has a perspective that we cannot understand. He has existed in every time period in history, and he has no equal. It's the reason why earlier on in the same chapter, Isaiah asked this question. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Now, in our culture, we don't have physical statues for the most part, right? The idols we have aren't, aren't something that you can form and we bow down to. But the things that we ascribe worth to, right? The, the things that we give way more value to than they actually have, those are the gods in our culture. Sex, money, power, fame. And unintentionally, the way that we bring God down to our size, we put God in our boxes, we view him through the lens of our culture. Uh, Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth, and there's a church there called the Church of the Annunciation. And inside the church is artwork that's been submitted from all around the world. Okay, so different uh, countries have sent in artwork, and uh, you've got uh, China, Egypt, Romania, Spain, but there's dozens and dozens and dozens of countries that have sent these in. And when you look at the different depictions of Jesus or uh, his mother Mary, right, Um, they are reflections of the countries that submitted the artwork. They reflect the skin tone, the hair, the clothing, some of the colors that are used in in the culture, some of the um, backgrounds uh, that are used. And when we view God through the lens of our culture, unintentionally we create a God that's made in our image. He's a reflection of us. He's a reflection of our upbringing. He's a reflection of our beliefs. He's a reflection of our politics. That's why my idea of God has changed since I was a child. You grow up and you have this idea of God and then you get a little bit older and you're like, nah, I don't think God's like that. And God just keeps shifting and changing in my mind, in my heart, just based on growing understanding. I think I'm right. And you think you're right. And everybody thinks they're right about God. So for, uh, maybe you can relate to this. For me growing up, this was the picture of Jesus, you know, hung in my house. Uh, some of you have maybe seen this before, but this was my idea of Jesus. He's got, you know, brown hair. It's flowing. looks like it's got product in it. You know, he's got blue eyes. He doesn't say it on his t-shirt, but he's a Republican. I promise you that, right? Carries a lamby on his shoulders. He loves you. He loves you so much, so much. But if you trespass on his property, he's going to shoot you. Uh, uh, you know, that's Jesus. And... Um, and you know, loves people around the world equally because we're all made in his image. Yeah, you know. You're know, you part of the United States. Oh, you're a little bit elevated. But we just, we, we do it. And every culture does this. We see Jesus. We see God through the lens of our culture. And since we live in a very specific time in history, it's almost impossible to ma- imagine a God who lives outside of time and space, a God who exists in the past and in the present and in the future all simultaneously. He is the everlasting God is what Isaiah says. He's present with us in this very moment. And so Isaiah asked the question, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. Created it all. He created a universe that's 93 billion light years in diameter. He created oceans that go thousands of feet deep. Mountains that go miles into the sky. Recently, I brought my son on a trip to the Pacific Northwest. If you've never been there, it is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. We went all throughout the state of Washington. The state of Oregon looks very similar. Uh, Just just gorgeous. Uh, Believe it or not, a little bit nicer even than Rogers. But, But God created this world, and it's so big that we're continually discovering how little we really know about it. Right? One thing scientists will tell you is that we thought the universe was big, but it's bigger than big. It's expanding at all times. And Isaiah writes, he is the creator of it all. And since he's the creator of everything, what we know about God is God is everywhere. There is no part of the universe that is a mystery to him. God has no boundaries. Driving from Kenosha to here, my wife and I took uh, some back roads because we went through Lacrosse and There were places where we did not get good cell phone reception, but with God, there is no drop calls. There's not a place on this planet where he does not exist because if he created it, he was there. So let me show you the Helix Nebula. It's called the Eye of God. It's a picture taken from our Hubble telescope, right? 700 light years away. So you flip on a light switch, it takes 700 years to get there. But you know what we're celebrating? We're celebrating Jeff Bezos going 62 miles into the sky. You know, it's like, wow, what an accomplishment. Right? We're celebrating Richard Branson going 53 miles into the sky. And then NASA argues whether we should call them an astronaut or not. A light year is roughly six trillion miles, and the Helix Nebula is 700 light years away, and yet God is there. And as hard as it is to imagine, right now, God is here. He's not just present in this room. He's present in you. And when you leave today, he's still present with you. And so whatever it is that's overwhelming you, I want you to know God is there. And Isaiah asked the question, have you never heard? Have you never understood? He says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. And then he continues. He says, he never grows weak or weary. God has the strength and power to do whatever God wants to do. He has no limitations. All right, so, when I want to put a deck on my house, what do I got to do? I got to go, first of all, I got to go to the bank and take out a loan to buy the wood, right? And then I got to go, I got to go down to Home Depot. I got to go down to Lowe's and I got to get all this wood. I got to put together a template, a plan, get some people over to help me put this thing together. Where did God go when he wanted to create the universe? Where, where, where did God go when he wanted to put this thing together? Well, he went nowhere. And that's because God is all powerful. When God wants to create, He speaks it into existence. When when God chooses to heal, He commands it to happen. When God chooses to restore a broken life or a broken marriage, what does He do? He miraculously puts the broken pieces together one by one. And so Isaiah writes, He says, Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? So if you want tonight, let's say the smoke clears and you're able to go out and you look up in the sky, when you look up in the sky, just ask yourself, who created all this? And then he says, God brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name because of his great power and incomparable strength. He says, not a single one is missing. He says, with the billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of stars in our universe, God's given them a name. These people who create websites and charge you to name a star after you, <laughs> they're just, you know, they're just scams. God's already named them. But God is all powerful. And it's his power that's holding this universe together. And it's his power that gives the sun its ability to emit energy and to burn. It's God's power that gives us the ability to think and process information. It is God's power that sustains our life. It is God's power in our weakest and most difficult and most challenging and overwhelming moments that gets us through that season. Years ago, someone came up to me and they said, Dave, I put my house up on the market and God is so good, I sold the house today, uh, the ver- or the very day I put it on the market. He said, I sold the house for more than I was asking. God is so good. And I looked at him and said, I don't want to break it to you and I want to celebrate with you. Just remember, God's good even if you lost your home. I said, because our circumstances do not change the character of God. And so Isaiah writes, he says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. And then he adds, no one can measure the depths of his understanding. So how can God know about what's happening in our world and simultaneously know and care about What's happening to Chloe and her friends yesterday in a car? How is that possible? And how is it possible that God can be concerned with me at this very moment and the things that are overwhelming me, with the church I pastor, and the things that overwhelm Jer and the things that overwhelm you? I mean, you got almost a hundred people dead from a condo collapse in Miami. You know, civil unrest in Cuba from in protests against the communist administration. There's always fears of hurricane and natural disasters. How can God keep track of everything? How is it possible that he can care about it all? And Isaiah writes, Well, no one can measure the depths of his understanding. God is all knowing. His knowledge and his understanding are impossible to search. So you can go to Google and you can try to figure out God and you will get some verses and you will get some people's thoughts on God, but you will not begin to scratch the surface on the greatness and the character and the majesty of God. Only God knows the exact date and time that the universe came into existence. Only God. Only God knows the intricacies of black holes and dark energies and what us Packer fans have had to endure with Aaron Rodgers this past summer. Right? Only God. God is in a category all of his own. Now, we may be smart, but we're not all-knowing, right? Our IQ tops out somewhere in the mid-200s. But yeah, we're we're smart, we're creative, and we do our thing. So so my son, Jaden, is 15 years old, and uh, Jaden likes, like almost every 15-year-old, to spend his days playing video games, right, wasting a bunch of time. And this drives me nuts. And so uh, I said to him one day, uh, this was back in spring, I said, AJ, it's done. Uh, you get one hour of video game a day. I'm not going to have you waste your life. Now, here's the deal. You can earn more time. And the way you earn more time is by reading books. Okay? I want you to balance out what you're doing here with something that's going to grow your intelligence. And so, and so he's a pretty compliant kid. So he says, okay, Dad. Well, uh, one particular Saturday, Saturday morning, I had not seen him. I knew he was up because uh, I would heard him earlier. And then I just, it was hours, three, four hours. And I had not seen him. And so, um, God forbid, I go looking for him. I text him. I say, hey, come in the living room, you know, and so he shows up in the living room, and he says, what? And I said, what have you been doing? He says, playing video games. I said, how many hours do you get a day? He says, one, but you told me I could earn it by reading. I said, so how long have you been playing video games? He said, four hours. I said, if you're telling me you read three extra hours, yeah. Jaden, tell me the truth. He said, well, I-, I listen to audiobooks while I'm playing video games, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, man. I said, you ain't going to continue this, right? But that's us. That's humans. We're creative we think uh, just the weirdest thing. Now, here's the deal. Just to bring this all together, just to make this ultra practical, let's say right now, uh, not even let's say, I'm guessing there's something in your life that is overwhelming you. Maybe it's a kid in your life that's just far from God and you've been praying for them or uh, just a decision you have to make. So just to bring it all together, what I want to do is just real practical. Is I want to end with a story about a king uh, who is overwhelmed. It's not a long story. But the king's name was Jehoshaphat, right? Great guy, leader of the nation of Judah. All right, so Judah's part of southern Israel. And um, there's a point where Israel was one big country, and, and this was a time period where it had split into two nations. But so Judah's southern Israel. Um, good things have been happening in Judah, but as you know, when good things happen for a long time, eventually something bad's gonna happen. Nobody's exempt from this. It doesn't matter the demographic you fall into. doesn't matter how much you love God. Life is filled with challenging times. And, and so in this story, this is what happens. Things are going good, now things go bad. There's a coalition of different nations that get together, and they say, hey, we are going to attack Judah, okay? We're, we're going to destroy Jerusalem, and um, they were on a mission. They had destroyed other nations, and so uh, sure enough, King Jehoshaphat's just hanging out, golfing with his buddies, gets a call from a friend of his, Said, hey, just so you know, there's a coalition of armies coming at us, Right? And and so he learns that these armies are on their way and he's scared out of his mind. And we we read this, Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news and begged the Lord for guidance. It's it's what we all do when we're terrified, when we don't know what to do. Yesterday I'm in the car, Jeremiah's driving and I'm texting our friends and I'm saying, hey, we don't have details right now. We don't even know if we're driving to the right hospital right now. But we need you to be praying because... This is a scary, scary uh, thing that's unfolding here. And we just, we, we literally were at a so loss of what to do. And that's Jehoshaphat. He doesn't have the resources or the armies to withstand the attack. And so he prays and he asks other people to pray. And eventually he says, hey, let's all come together. And people are coming together. And I'm, I'm guessing that they're anticipating a, a you know, a, a kind of a speech from Braveheart. Like, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to attack. But Jehoshaphat literally doesn't know what to do. So he prays. And we don't have time to read through his whole prayer, but let me just read a little bit of it here. He says, oh Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. So Jehoshaphat just stops and he reminds himself and he reminds the people of Judah of the greatness of God. When I am overwhelmed, when you are overwhelmed, one of the greatest things we can do is just remind ourselves of how big God is. It's very easy to tell God how big our problems are. It's very powerful to look at our problems and tell our problems, hey, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be in this, but I know this. My God is mighty, and my God is able. My God is the healer. My God is the provider. My God can do more than I even ask or think. And Jehoshaphat, he continues praying, and again, we're not going to read all the verses, but he spends time in his prayer recalling what God has done for the people of Israel throughout their history. In his prayer, he says, hey, God, we remember a time where we had no property We did not own anything as the Jewish people, and yet miraculously, we now have property. We remember a time that we were in slavery. Hundreds of years, and you miraculously brought us out. We had no hope of freedom, and you gave it to us. And what he does is he reminds the people of what God's done, and it becomes the backdrop for his prayer. When we are overwhelmed, one of the greatest things we can do is remember what God has done in the past. Because that becomes the indication of what God is able to do in the future. And so, he continues praying. And as he prays, he starts remembering the promises of God. He literally says this in his prayer. He says, our ancestors told you that whenever we experience famine, whenever we experience war, whenever we experience difficult times, we can call on you and you will answer and you will respond. He says, so that's what we're doing today. When we're overwhelmed, one of the greatest things we can do is remember the character and the promises of God. Now, we want to be careful that we don't take things that are just written in the Bible and just assume they're promises for all time, right? So just because God spoke it very specifically to one person doesn't mean that everybody in every generation can take that exact same promise, but there are themes and there are traits all throughout the scripture that we can be sure. No, this is a promise of God. We know that God is faithful. We know that whatever we go through, God is with us and God is for us. Those are those are absolute promises. We know that God is able to heal. We know that God is able to provide we know this about God. And so Jehoshaphat calls on the promises of God, and he says, God, this is what you promised. And then he prays for protection, right? He gets to the end of this prayer and says, all right, here's what we need. And he, here are his words. He says, oh, our God, won't you stop them? This army that's, that, this coalition that's attacking us. He said, we're powerless against this army that's about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. So he acknowledged his ultimate dependence on God. And so they're, they're, they're about to go to battle. And this, this sounds so ridiculous. Their confidence in God builds up so much that what they do is they put a choir together. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine asking for volunteers? Hey, we need uh, volunteers to sing in the choir who's going to go before this army. Well, that's what happens. So this choir goes out before the army, and this is what they sang. We read this. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. They just have this attitude of worship. Why? Because they place their situation on the backdrop of God's greatness. And God responds and God protects them. It is important for all of us when we are overwhelmed to eventually come to the end of ourselves and say, I've done what I can do. I've tried as much as I can try. I've prayed as much as I can pray. I have been responsible as much as I've been responsible. But now I'm done. I've done what I can do. God, I need you to step in. So, how do I move forward when I'm overwhelmed? Four things. Number one, remember how big God is place, our circumstances and our stresses against the backdrop of his greatness number two, remember what God's done in the past Gotta remember five years ago when you stepped in and you miraculously healed my mother so I know what you're able to do and now I'm asking you to do another healing number three, remember the promises of God you are with me God, you are for me Number four, remember my dependence on God. God, I'm out of options. So now, I'm looking to you. I have a daughter, Alyssa. She's 21 years old now, but from the time she was 15 to the time she was 19, uh, she did not live with our family because her mental health issues were so incredibly severe. We literally would pick her up, we'd bring her to the car to go to school, she wouldn't get out. We ended up having to send her to programs for four years, overwhelmed, felt like the worst parent at all times. You know, As a parent, you feel like, oh, I should be able to fix this. I, should, I know her better than anybody, I should, but couldn't do it. And during that season, what I would do, because that started to affect my marriage, it started to affect my, you know, my focus as a pastor, I would just often go into a room at her church and I'd put on music that pointed to the greatness of God and I'd remind myself I'll be a goddess. So let's go back to the words of Isaiah. He says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who wait for the Lord's help will find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary and they walk without getting tired. This is not talking about the type of waiting that we do in a doctor's office where we get impatient or for those of you who are hunters like myself, right? This is not the kind of waiting where you sit there and wait and wait and wait and the 10-point buck never shows up and you're frustrated. This is talking about a hopeful, anticipating type of waiting. Like, God, I know what you're able to do. So just keep giving me the strength to continue to press on and persevere. I know some of you today are overwhelmed. So what I wanna do is I wanna close here and I just wanna pray. I wanna pray for God's mercy and God's grace and God's grace. And that in the midst of our being overwhelmed, we would not lose sight of the greatness of God. Our heavenly Father, you are a big God. You are a faithful God. You are a God who's able to do way more than we could ask or think. And so I pray for my friends in the unique situations where they may be overwhelmed. Maybe it's with a child, maybe it's in a marriage, maybe it's a financial situation. God, maybe it's something to do with a career. And I just pray that you'd give us the strength to press on as we remember you and your character and what you've done in the past and your promises. And we've come to the end of ourselves and we just realize we need you to get involved. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for having me today, guys.